What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of FilmmakerU.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This week, we're going to be sitting down with William Goldenberg. He is the editor of so many well-known films, but he recently edited the film Air. And we're going to discuss how do you tackle that subject matter when we all know the outcome? And where do you get that suspense in this situation if we all know the problem and how it gets solved? So we're going to sit down and talk about that. Now, if you like these interviews, make sure to check out FilmmakerU.com, where we host content for film professionals to deepen and diversify your existing skill set. And of course, if you want to get 10% off any of the courses, use the promo code THECUTTINGROOM, all one word, THECUTTINGROOM, and you'll get 10% off. Now, with all that said, here's my interview with William Goldenberg. You've worked with uh, Ben Affleck before as a director, and I'm wondering... At what stage now does he come to you to get you involved with it? Are you helping him with giving feedback on the scripts or where, where does he enter and how'd you get involved in this film? Well, I mean, in, you know, everyone is different. Um, you know, this one came up, came up really fast. You know, um, it was, I can't remember how far out, maybe just like five weeks or something, you know, and he, I have this script. And I'm going to make, you know, told me the story of the movie. I was like, uh, you know, I'm in. I hadn't, and he was, they were still working on the script. So he didn't send it to me for a couple more weeks. In fact, he sent me the original script. And then before I even had a chance to open it, um, he said, no, don't read that one. Here's the new one, you know. And they were only a few weeks out from shooting. Uh, and they mm-hmm. were, it was a really fast prep. So this one, I didn't really contribute anything to the script because, you know, they, he and Matt were working with Alex uh, on it. And, you know, that's a pretty good trio. And, um, yeah. and, you know, I, like I said, there wasn't really much time to do it. And um, so I came on, like I said, I mean, I would almost, it would be really hard to imagine a situation where Ben offered me a movie and I didn't do it because his tastes are so similar to mine and his sensibility is similar to mine. So, and we have such a great relationship, working relationship uh, that, you know, I would, uh, he would, if he called me and said, I have a movie, I can't tell you what it is. I'd still do it. Um, because I know it would be something I like. This is based on real people. Mm-hmm. And there are a few things that, uh, that are altered in it or like certain storylines might be changed when you guys are working on it. Is there discussion about that, about how far to push a certain story element or pull it back based on reality? Without giving specifics, there will be. I mean, you know, all, I, I've done a lot of true stories, and I'm always asking, "Is this how it happened? Is this how? Is this real? Is this how it happened?" Yeah. You know, because you know, it's, you, like anybody, you're curious and veer from the what the the absolute truth of something. As long as you keep, you know, I always feel like as long as you keep in the spirit of the truth, mm-hmm. you know, the way the 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 people, the real people intended, whether it's not whether whether it's not a sort of beat by beat exact you know recount of it i i think it's the spirit of it i always feel some i'm always comfortable with that you know howard white saw the film you know and before phil did phil knight did and he watched it three times in a row and loved it so we felt like okay and then um when phil saw it you know he mentioned a couple of things that were altered but he said but he loved the film and felt like it it captured the only the first film he said that captured the real Nike culture the way it was back then. And he said, even though there was a couple of things altered, it felt 
right for the film and it's right for the spirit of the film and the spirit of what happens. So that I'm comfortable with that. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, not that I could do much about it once I signed on to the film, but I don't know how comfortable I feel if you like really veered off and like, yeah. you know, I mean, I even, uh, even uh, films, I've, I have done that. I mean, I, now that I think about it, the imitation game, we, we, there's even more, you know, I would say 60% of that film is true. And air is much closer to a hundred than that. As long as we don't defame anyone, it feels like, you know. The tricky part is we all know the ending. How did you approach this film or how did you approach it so that we were still gripped? Because I was going in being like, I already know the ending. And then about halfway through, I was like on the edge of my seat, sort of like, what's going to happen next? I think we, Ben and I both pretend we don't know the end of the film. You know what I mean? So we're we're operating as if the ending is a surprise. And so the idea is to, you know, the, in a combination of pace and also getting the audience really deep into the characters and what they're going through that hopefully you have them, you know, you have them captured in a way that they, they forget it. They're, they're so in the movie that they don't think about like, mm-hmm. Oh, I know the ending, you know, this is going to happen. So they, you know, you, you have to you really, you know, between the writing and the acting and the editing and the production design and everything that you have to, you know, if the audience is gripped about what's happening in front of them, they're not thinking about anything else. So that, I mean, it's a tall order you know, often, but, you know, luckily for in this film, it, it was, you know, it's great performances and, and great writing. And so people are just in the moment and they, you know, so what it, they're not thinking ahead. They're thinking about what they're watching. So, you know, that's a combination of all those different things and music and, you know, everything to, to keep the audience on the edge of their seat. Same thing in Argo, like everybody knew they got out at the end, but, you know, yeah. you hope. They're so in the moment with those characters that, you know, that that's all they're thinking about. In the film, it seems like uh, Ben Affleck in this film in particular uh, did a lot of camera movements. So a lot of camera sort of tracking dollies pushing in. Mm-hmm. So when you're working, because like I think about that first argument or not the first, sorry, the first sort of discussion between the two characters right after the opening. The, you mean uh, Chris Tucker and Matt walking through the bullpen? Like, well, they're in his office, though. Well, they're in his office, and they walk yeah. all the way to the Okay, yeah, yeah. And there's, like, all this movement. So I'm wondering, like, when you get footage where, you know, some of it's static and some of it's uh, moving, like, how do you deal with pacing? Because that's going to have its own sort of trajectory or feeling to it. Well, I mean, in that particular, you know, the ca- you know it's Bob Richardson. So, <laughs> you know, the, the camera work and the, you know, so... You know, when when there's you're working with somebody who's a master like that, the camera, the acting, and the storytelling all sort of really meshes into one thing. So that's sort of done almost for me. But you know, you use like cutting from a moving camera to a static camera. You know, you you do it to create a you know a result. Like mm-hmm. well, like it's, it's going to be a hard edge cut. So you know, what do you want? So you use that to to an effect. You know, to to you know to really I mean jar somebody with that. Moving to moving, you know, you try and make it flow together so that it, you know, feels seamless. It, it almost like is one cuts pushing the other cut. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the energy of the A side pushes the B side of the cut, and that's what I'm always trying to do. Unless I'm trying to be more noticeable about it to 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 make a story point. So you just use it, you use those things to your advantage, and you know, hopefully the audience doesn't know it, but they feel it. You know, and yeah. that's our job. It's my job. You know, so it's, a lot of that is just like either instinctual or trial and error or like, oh, I can, 
you know, when I'm watching the dailies, I've been doing this for so long, I'll see, oh, in this moment, I like if I did that, it would be, you know, really, you know, really sell that story point without being too overt about it. And so that, you know, I'm looking for that kind of stuff. You know, I'm, when I'm watching the scene, the dailies for scenes, I've reread that scene and the scenes around it three, four, five times already. So then my head is looking for pieces that are going to help tell those story beats and something, you know, I'll see those bits and, 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 and make, you know, write them down and then, and then use them to help tell the story. When you're looking at the script, do you make any particular notes or dissect it in any way or highlight anything or do you leave it sort of blank and no i kind of leave it blank but i reread and reread and reread is what i do because whenever i'm starting a new scene because you know they don't shoot in continuity so you're you're going from the scene in the beginning to the scene in the end and then the scene in the middle and so i just keep rereading you know 10 15 pages before 10 15 pages after so i really have my mind you know exactly where each character is in the story you know story-wise and then and more importantly almost is emotionally, you know, mm -hmm. so um, I find that, you know, the best way to grip an audience is to tell the each character's emotional story, like, and then look for footage when I'm studying the dailies that will tell that emotional story. Like, what is that guy going? What is that the man or woman going through at that particular moment, you know, mm -hmm. and then looking for moments that that illustrate that and oftentimes nonverbal. Um, and the great thing about air is because there's so many phone calls and, you know, you find, you know, when you're on a phone with somebody, they can't see you. So you can act in a whole different way than you're sounding, yeah. you know, what, like, for instance, when Dolores is listening to Matt on that one phone call and she just takes the receiver and holds it away from her for a minute because she just doesn't want to hear it, you know, and you can't do that. Like it would be like turning your back on somebody in a conversation. So the phone calls, you know, gives the actors the ability to do things physically that they wouldn't be able to do if they were in person. So it really adds like a whole another element of storytelling that you wouldn't have in a normal dialogue scene. Is there a particular scene or moment in the film that was your favorite to cut or gave you a bit of a challenge or anything? Um, well, the two hard, the two most challenging scenes were um, the boardroom when when Nike pitches the Jordan family. That was certainly the most challenging um, and really rewarding because we worked and worked and worked and worked on it and kept changing the amount of video, you know, uh, archival footage that we were using. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, originally the script called for Matt's almost matt's dialogue to be almost like voiceover like mm -hmm. the once so i'm going to i'm going to tell you the future and it was more like a video montage of michael jordan's future but then we realized it sort of became like a highlight film you know it, it was not it was cool to look at it it was really it was really interesting but it wasn't telling the the emotional story we needed to tell and matt was so good in the dailies we kept, ben and i were like why are we not watching matt you know why are we watching you know more and more stuff of michael playing basketball or michael playing baseball and so we realized that those those needed to be more snapshots mm -hmm. you know more glimpses of the things that were going to happen and it was it was much more that was so it kept the movie much more rooted in that room and, uh, and then you know the if the audience wants to see a highlight film they can go on youtube you know so we yeah. we made that we we kept 
thinning it down and thinning it down about how much video or archival material we showed. And that was a real, that was a real process. Like, you know, and um, we had to add, we added a couple of like a line or two to sort of make things flow a little bit better and, and, you know, and, and finding just the right reactions of Dolores and James um, were, you know, it was really, and you know, all the people around the table and what are they going through and especially Phil, what's he, you know, what's he feeling during all this. So, you know, all, any scene where you have that many people around the table is always challenging anyway. Yeah. Um, probably the most rewarding scene I did was the scene um, when Matt rushes in in the morning after seeing Michael make that shot over and over, you know, when he's rewinding and rewinding and he comes in and he tells Jace, uh, Jason Bateman's character, uh, Rob Strasser, you know, I found him and he's like, and he pulls the video card over and he's showing him how the play was drawn up for Michael. And well, the night before they were going to shoot that, Ben and Matt came into my office and they realized the way the script was, it really, we don't, we didn't have the video. We didn't have the footage to support that, the archival footage to support what the script said, because it just didn't exist. And mm -hmm. uh, so we had to come up with a different idea for like what that scene what he was going to be showing jason on the on the video so we started looking and we started not, you know you know matt and ben were kicking around ideas and i would chime in a little bit and and finally they came up we came up with this idea that the shot was you know drawn up for jordan and that worthy was a decoy and um and that michael was calling for the ball which is true yeah but you know but um so then Matt went on the set that day and he he kind of improved a lot of the dialogue and he did a lot of takes and a lot of different takes. And he felt really, and I didn't even know this until later, but Ben told me that Matt felt, he was like, okay, we have to, you know, at the end of the night, he said, Ben wanted to do a couple more takes. And he said, now nah, we got to have to come back and redo this. This is not going to, this is not working. Um, you know, uh, and Matt, Ben was like, no, no, I think it's good. I think it's good. Just let Billy take a shot at it. <laughs> and um, so Matt did a couple more takes and, you know, and there were good bits here and there. And and I took all that footage and made the scene as it is right now. I think it, I'm pretty, it's, I think it's, there are no, we took a, a line or two out yeah. when the second part of it, but, but it's basically my first cut. And so that when I showed it to Matt that day, I've I've never felt um, I almost never felt as rewarded as I did that moment because he was just he was so happy and so thrilled that the scene worked so well. And he, you know, I, he gave me more credit than I deserved because I was just like, you're a really good actor. You know, I got to say this to him, but, you know, he's an amazing actor and, and he yeah. just he never felt secure about it. But I saw it when I saw the mm -hmm. dailies. And it seemed obvious to me what to do. And so when, when they both literally the next day, they saw it, I cut it the next day and they saw it later that night and, and they loved it. And that, so that was really a, that was really a special moment. When you were cutting it, did, cause you said he ad lib, did you build like steel from the different takes and build a new sort of line or? No, not, not too much. Happen? Yeah. I mean, I've done that in the past. No, this was, when I say ad lib, he was like, he would, it was not like completely different. It was, uh, he was, he was changing the words, but he a little here, a little there. And, you know, maybe telling a little more, a little less. So it was just, you know, you just using what I thought was the right bits to, to sell the, to sell the thing to Rob, to Jason Bateman's character. Yeah. 
So it wasn't like he was like going every, you know, like Jim Carrey improving, but, mm-hmm. but, um, but he was, you know, he did a fair amount of, uh, you know, improvisation, but, um, but I didn't have to, ma- I've done that with Chris Tucker a little, sometimes I manufactured some sentences um, in that opening scene with Chris. Yeah. He, uh, that was a lot. Chris improv almost as her. When I say improv, he, um, he spent a lot of time with the real Howard White, who is in, uh, like, he's just like that in person. Yeah. Uh, Cause I've met him a few times too. And he's a real character and they really do call him the, they call him the uh, a preacher. Um, he's just full of stories and all those stories that Chris Tucker tells are right out of Howard's mouth. Wow. And, um, and he was just like, you know, that opening scene, there was just hours and hours of footage of Chris and it was just all amazing. So that, to shape that into like a, like a three minute scene or a two, whatever it ended up being was really challenging to make that and to make Matt's reactions work with it. And it, it was really fun, but it was challenging. And there I did have to like, you know, make a couple of sentences that didn't exist. And I, I really appreciate that Chris Tucker was in this because it's been a while since I've seen him in a film and I was just, he's such a great fun actor to watch. What were the rushes like? So like you're talking, you've had this amazing career where you get to watch some of the best actors in the world perform. What were the rushes in this like? Like, what were you getting a wide variety of differences, or was it much more sort of muted and controlled? Like Ben knew what he was um, going for. It depended on the actor. Um, like Chris Messina, I got a lot of variety. You know, he would he would do the scripted dialogue, and then he would go veer off one way or another, and then like and do like, and it would get maybe bigger as he went along. Like the scene where he's screaming at matt on the phone there's lots of different versions of that and a lot some of that was in improvisation and and some of it wasn't like the thing where he like the where he's got the sword on his like little a big knife on his desk that he just grabbed up from you know it was it was part of set dressing mm-hmm. uh he just grabbed and started messing around with it so he gave me lots of different variety ben improv some you know uh, matt a little bit but not so much you know, every actor, Chris Tucker, a ton. Um, so it depended. And 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 Viola's dailies were, as you'd expect, you know, they they were incredible. It was uh, like a editor's bucket list, you know, to, yeah. to edit something where Viola Davis is in it. And I was, you know, and I mean, Ben's told the story, but Michael, Michael cast Viola, you know, um, yeah. uh, he, uh, Ben went down to see him and he says, Michael Jordan's got to play my mom. He's like, well, I mean, I'll ask her, but it doesn't work like that. And luckily she said yes. And she was so perfect. If they didn't put the card at the head of the film saying that she was in this, it wouldn't have clicked for me. She was so immersed in that character. She just disappeared into the role. I know that's the great, I love, don't you love films like that where you, yeah. you know, somebody's in it and at the end you go, wait a second, who did so-and-so play? And you go, yeah. oh my God, you know, that's that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's certain actors, you know, I can check her off now that, you know what I mean? It, it, and then, you know, the same thing goes for Jason. I love Jason. I loved Ozark. And yeah, I mean, I was so excited that he was in it. And, and, and obviously Viola and um, Christmas scene, I've known personally for a long time and he's a wonderful guy. I was very excited to work with him again. So, and even Matt Mayer who plays um, the sneaker designer is, you know, he and Matt and Ben went to, I think, elementary school together. Oh, no way. Yeah, he's a he's a really wonderful actor. You know, he works all the time, and but he's always in one of Ben's movies, and he was so perfect in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
yeah, they just did such an extraordinary job of casting. You know, it makes it makes you know. I was never trying to like make a performance. It was all, mm-hmm. always like it was always trying to elevate what was already great. You know, and yeah. and trying to really make it sing. And that's a real pleasure as, as an editor is when you get material that you can. It's already working, and you can really make something out of it, or as opposed to just like, can I make this releasable? You know that kind of thing. And and it, it's it's to have all this like a wealth of material like that. That's when it's my job is the most fun. In a lot of films, you can you know, you'll move things around and try and re- refine the structure a bit. So I'm wondering, was there any changes to this, the story in the cutting room or any uh, adjustments to the structure? Very little. Um, the only thing that we did high school basketball scene in the opening and the little mm-hmm. and the Vegas and the Vegas thing where he's gambles and loses his money that used to be in the body of the film. Um, but it didn't, it didn't, we never even really even put it, it was scripted to be in the body of the film, but we all knew and Matt especially knew that it didn't belong there, that we needed to know that material, know that information before we, before we got into the body of the story that Sonny is a gambler, that Sonny is a high school basketball scout and you have to you want to see him do that and then hear about it as opposed to hear about it and then see it. So um, that got moved into the opening and I think to much of the film, you know, made the film much better. Otherwise the structure was pretty sound, you know, and we only, I think we only lost one scene in the whole movie, you know, that, um, it turned out that we just didn't need, but um, the script was really tight. And so we never, you know, we never had a length problem. And so we never, and, and every scene was integral. So, you know, in movies where you can, I find that movies where you can move scene, a lot of scenes around, yeah. probably not a good thing, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, if it doesn't matter what order they go in. It's probably not a good thing. Well, but it's interesting that that scene went to the start because I when I was watching, I was like, this is a great intro because it's literally it's like, here's the guy. He says thanks to him, says his name. Then we see his addiction to gambling that we see him come to. So it sets the whole character background. up. Exactly. It just seems such a when Matt said it, it was such a natural, We were, you know, it was like Ben and I were both like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, perfect. You know, it just was, you know, when sometimes when somebody has an idea and it's so good that you think, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why didn't I think of that? You know, and and it really it made it made the opening have much more obviously have more story than just you know flavor. So I have one last question for you. Um, now we've done interviews before, so I've already asked you about your guilty pleasure film. What would you say was the film that was the most fun to work on? I would probably have to say Gone Baby Gone, although the film itself is not you know one you'd think. Well, that was fun, but um, but it's the first time I worked with Ben. And I was nervous about it because, you know, he's an, he was an actor and he never directed. And and then we had such a good time. And it, it was Disney made the movie through Miramax, which they owned at the time. And um, we kind of they kind of left us alone. It was a 20 million dollar film. It's not the kind of movie the studio made. And and we just got to do what we wanted. You know, it was just the two of us in the room, like doing like making a movie unsupervised you know and um i don't know it was the beginning of a root what i could tell was going to be a really great relationship he's a really fun person to be around and and it was just nice to have like to to do it you know without interference i guess you know without the studio be breathing down our necks or i don't mm-hmm. know it, it felt very freeing and it felt like i really was contributing and um 
we know we had, we had a great crew. It was just one of those things where everything clicked and was similar. I mean, I had, I, I would, I could almost say the same thing about air, you know, it was, mm-hmm. we all, we made the movie. I can't remember if I mentioned we, the production office, the set and the editing were all in the same building in Santa Monica. And so it was like, everybody was there all the time. You know, I'd open my door and there was the wardrobe department or the video village was like right outside my door where they shot the boardroom scene right next door to my editor, my assistant's room. And we had, she had to like put headphones on and work quietly so she wouldn't, you know, so it was, it was this sort of, it was like making a film in a big dorm, college dorm, yeah. where everybody was living there, you know? I mean, we, and so it was, it, that also the film was really, really fun. So, I mean, it's no coincidence that a lot of my fun experiences are with Ben. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me interview today. My pleasure, and thank you. So that was my interview with William. I'd like to thank William for allowing me to interview him. Of course, I'd like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode. And of course, Jason Banky for producing this episode. I'm Gordon Raquel. Thanks for listening.